Anybody need a word from the Lord today? I need a word from the Lord today. Hmm. Turn in your Bible to Acts chapter 17. Acts 17, and while you're turning, turn to your neighbor and say, Don't forget, it's turnaround time. time, church. It is turnaround time. Hallelujah. You need some things in your life to turn. And I'm telling you, it is turnaround time. Woo. Today, we're going to talk about turning our atlas around. <laughs> turning our world around. Look at Acts chapter 17. Just before I read this, let me just say, uh, Easter's just on the horizon. Easter's just around the corner. One of my favorite days of the whole year, the day that we celebrate Jesus risen, Savior, risen from the grave, risen from the dead. Hallelujah. Easter's just around the corner, everybody. I want you to make plans to be with us on Easter Sunday. That is uh, April the, the 24th. We have one service on Easter. It's 10 o'clock. We're going to pack this place out. The choir's been working hard, extra hard, to bring us a great, great presentation and help us just to simply celebrate Jesus. In fact, the name of it is called, it's just called Celebrate, and that's what we're going to do. We also are going to have a Good Friday concert by the choir and the music department, so I want you to make plans for that. Invite your friends. Pick up a handful of these cards today, please. We made enough that you could pick them up and pass them around work and family and neighborhood. Pick these up, pass them out, Invite someone to our Good Friday celebration concert. Uh, lots of people will come to a concert. Lots of people will come to hear a choir. They feel uh, less threatened or they don't feel threatened at all. But little do they know that once they get in here and get into the atmosphere of the anointing of God, their life is going to be changed. They have no say in the matter, I'm just telling you. But you've got to get people here so that their life can be changed. That's Good Friday. I'm kind of walking back from Easter. Easter, Good Friday, Palm Sunday also is going to be special for us this year. We're doing something on Palm Sunday. That is April the 17th. Doing something this particular Palm Sunday that we have never done before. We are having one service. Everybody say one service. One service. On Palm Sunday as well. So we are combining 8.15 and 10.30 into one service. We're going to begin that service at 10 o'clock. There'll be no discovery hour on Palm Sunday or Easter in recognition of these special services. No PM service on Palm Sunday or Easter. Okay, Kind of a lot of information and a few changes, so I'm, I'm wanting you to, to be aware of this. But we're trying something new this year, and I'm very, very excited about it. And I want you to throw out all your hope Whenever we try something new, throw out hope. Don't throw out uh, critique. 
okay? There'll be time to critique it. We're going to critique it ourselves later, okay? I like trying things, and if things don't work, we can always back up and do what we used to do. But we'll never know if something works unless we try something. So I want you to throw out all kinds of hope in trying something new this Palm Sunday, starting at 10 o'clock, one service, one celebration right here in this room, followed by a special community egg hunt at Central Park. We're taking the egg hunt up a notch, and we're taking it to Central Park and making it more of a community outreach. Well, since we're in the park, and since we all like to eat, we thought, why don't we have a picnic lunch together before the egg hunt? So we're having a service at 10, a picnic lunch at 12, and the community egg hunt at 1. The picnic lunch is all on you. We will not provide any food, any drinks, any utensils, but we're just saying we're going to get together. We all like to eat. Let's have picnic lunch together. So that's on Palm Sunday. I'm very, very excited about that. Reaching out to the community. Pick up a handful of these, and let's just see what God does this Easter season. What say you? Amen. Acts chapter 17. Let's start with verse number, number one. Now, when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they uh, were speaking here of Paul and Silas. When they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica. Now that's a mouthful just right there. Where there was a synagogue of the Jews. Then Paul, as his custom was, he went into them, and for three Sabbaths, somebody say three Sabbaths, and for three Sabbaths he reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and demonstrating that the Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead, and saying, This Jesus whom I preach to you is the Christ. Some of them were persuaded. I'll give you a chance just to say hallelujah right there. Ha, ha, ha. Some of them were persuaded, and I'll tell you this, some of the ones around you are also going to be persuaded. Some of them were persuaded, and a great multitude of the devout Greeks, and not a few of the leading women, joined with Paul and Silas. Look at verse number 5. But the Jews who were not persuaded, mm -hmm, there will always be some of those, the Jews who were not persuaded, becoming envious, they took some of the evil men from the marketplace, and gathered a mob. They set all the city in an uproar, and they attacked the house of Jason and sought to bring them out to the people. But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some other brethren to the rulers of the city, crying out, These who have turned the world upside down have come here too. Hallelujah. Jason has harbored them in his home, and these are all acting contrary to the decrees of Caesar. And they're saying things like, there is another king, and his name is Jesus. They troubled the crowd and the rulers of the city when they heard these things. So when they had taken security from Jason and the rest of them, they let them go. Let me draw your attention back to verse number 6 of chapter 17. In fact, just the last part of it. These who have turned the world upside down, have come here too. Father, we thank you for your word. It is so powerful. It is so, it is so uh, authoritative, and it always accomplishes what you send it to accomplish. Let that be the case today, God. Impart it to us, Lord. Embed it in us, God. 
And let it, in fact, turn us so that we can turn our world around. We pray it in the powerful name of Jesus. And everybody said amen. Amen. What is your reputation? You ever thought about it? What do others think of you? What do others say about you when you're not around? Wow. All of us have one. What's yours like? Is your reputation good? Is your reputation bad? I think it's a fair question. The dictionary gives this definition for a reputation. It's the estimation in which a person or thing is held, especially by the community or by the public. What is your reputation? What do others think of you? What are others saying about you when you're not around? Some have a good reputation. They're known for their acts of courage. They're known for their generosity, their kindness. You know people like that. Others are known for their not-so-nice way of doing things. Others are known for their selfishness. Others are known for their their hurtful acts. What is your reputation? Hmm. Mae West said this, I wrote the story myself. It's about a girl who lost her reputation and never missed it. There are those who will go to great lengths to try and enhance their reputation. According to the New York Times, in the summer of 1994, a Virginia state trooper who was a member of the bomb squad and his dog, Master Blaster, (laughs) they became local celebrities when they found bombs at malls in the city of Hampton and Virginia Beach. That bit of celebrity evidently went to the state trooper's head. A hidden camera later recorded him placing a bomb in a shed that he had been asked to search for explosives. He was arrested and later pled guilty to planting explosives at two malls, a courthouse, and a coliseum. He told investigators he had not intended to hurt anyone. The bombs, cardboard tube filled with explosives and pipes filled with gunpowder and nails, they never even exploded. He said he was simply trying to enhance his reputation. Paul and Silas, along with Jason and the other New Testament followers of Christ, They also had a reputation. They were known as these who have turned the world upside down. My Lord. So what are you known as in the workplace? How is your workplace different now that you've arrived. Check one, two. I want to make sure this is on today. 
Now that the light of the world which is housed inside of you has come into the darkness, is there any significant change? I think it's a fair question. You're the salt. You're the light. You're housing the light of the world. We carry the salt of the world. A lot of thirsty people in darkness. So how is your neighborhood different because you live there? How is the workplace different because you work there? How is your family different because you are one of the family members? I don't know if, if everybody remembers, and I know there are plenty that are new, so you may not know this at all, but for those who have been with us for a while, maybe you remember some time ago we talked about how we could turn the world around and change the world. Anybody remember how we can change the world? Come on, somebody, real loud. We can change the world, the big globe, the atlas, by changing our world. See, changing the world is a tall order. It's intimidating. It's impossible for one, right? How can, you, how, can you do, how can one person do that? And so when we think about changing the entire globe, changing the entire atlas, because it is such a grand task, we'll, we'll shy away from it. We'll draw back from it. So let's just break it down into bite-sized pieces. Remember how you eat an elephant? One bite at a time, we just break it down. We can change the world by changing our world. We can, too, become those who are known as those radicals who will not stop talking about Jesus. They're turning the world upside down. We do that by focusing on our world. My world is comprised of all those I come in contact with on my 24-hour rotation, my 24-hour basis. When I rise in the morning and when I put my head down at night, all those that I've encountered, and there's some consistency with that. You see some of the same people Monday through Friday. How many see some of the same people Monday through Friday? You'll be honest. That's your world, folks. That's your world. You just start by changing your world. And then, before long, we'll be known, we'll have a reputation, we'll have gained a reputation as those who've turned the world upside down. It's turnaround time. I see a natural progression of our, of our series. We started four weeks ago by looking at how we could turn our attitudes around. Some of us needed an attitude adjustment. Some, some, well, the attitude adjustment was overdue. Let's just be honest and be serious here today. We need an attitude adjustment every now and then. That's a, that's a mindset. That's a thinking problem. Turning our attitudes around, followed by turning our affections around. That's our heart, which houses our, our affections. Turning our hearts around. It follows by uh, uh, turning our, our actions around, turning our works around, what we do day in and day out. A change of what we do, a change of how we love, a change of how we give. 
the next progression that I see is changing the world, turning the world by turning your world. It just takes one. It just takes one in that world, and a fire will, will blaze, a fire will burn. One, one wheel turning will set another wheel to turning. One cog turning turns another cog, and it, it, it starts a chain reaction of turning in our lives. It's turnaround time. So how do we turn our world around? I say, let's look at how others have turned their world around. It just makes natural sense for me to look at others who've turned their world around. I attended a funeral yesterday of a saint. I say that with great confidence, and please understand that I don't say people are saints very often. Most people don't act saintly, do they? Here's a, here's a woman who lived 94 years, and I believe she was a saint when she died. Floyd Waterfield's mother, Margaret, passed. We did the funeral yesterday, and what a great, great tribute, Floyd. You know, they say the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. I think that's true. I see, a, I, I see you in a new light after hearing all that your mother has done and your father. She made her life count. And she turned her world around. Let me just interject this to you folks. For those of you who have not heard, we lost another, another saint, another soldier has gone on to be with the Lord. Jack Koschava passed, and uh, his funeral will be this coming Friday, right here in this sanctuary at 11 o'clock. If you'd like more details, just call the office and we'll be sure that you get those. But please uh, continue to lift up Marlene in this passing and the rest of this family. Uh, Jack Koschava, his funeral will be this Friday at 11. How did Margaret Waterfield turn her world around? How did Paul and Silas and Jason and the others, how did they turn their world around? First of all, they were in the right place. <laughs> That's important, folks. It is important that we be in the right place. Look at verse number one of our text today. It says that after they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica. There's just some cities right here. They finally, they landed here in Thessalonica where there was a synagogue. Folks, they were in church. They were in church. Sadly today, many have forsaken the practice of church attendance. Some, for this reason, they feel that it's not really pertinent anymore. It was for another generation. It's, it was for my, my grandparents. It was for even my parents, but it's certainly not for me. I don't, I, don't, I don't want to go. I don't need to go. And so they just stopped going. And I've seen how quickly stopping this good practice 
of faithful church attendance, I've seen how quickly it will turn somebody in the wrong direction. I'm talking about days it can turn somebody in the wrong direction. It doesn't have to take weeks or months or even years. It can happen in days. You just get out of the practice and out of the habit even of doing something that is right and something that is good. Others have stopped going to church because, now I'm talking about believers right here. I'm talking about Christ's followers right now. Because they were hurt. They were hurt by somebody in the church. They were disappointed. They were manipulated. They were discouraged. The pastor failed. Other members failed. I mean, the list goes on, and it's all actually, sadly, it's all true. And God help us, help our churches, and help those behind the pulpit to do what is right. Help me, God. I don't want anybody leaving this church because they got hurt over what I said or what I didn't say or what I did or did not do. If you leave this church, I want it to be because God told you to leave this church. And God has something else that He wants you to do somewhere else. And I want us talking about it. I, I, I love it, Nancy. Love to see you here again. But when you were leaving, you came to me and you said, Pastor, I feel God moving me on. And so now there's an open door and you'll always be family here and you'll always be welcome here. You didn't slip through some crack somewhere. You didn't slip out some back door. I knew right from the beginning what was going on in your life and I bless it in the name of Jesus. That's the proper way to leave a church, folks. I'm telling you, I just, I, I grieve. I, Karen, I, I tell her all the time she has, to, she has to put up with my grieving over people who just leave and never said nothing, never said anything to me didn't even give me the opportunity to try to work through something, perhaps. Can I get off of that now? <laughs> For those who've been disappointed by pastors and hurt by church members and just discouraged, I got something to say to you. You ready? Oh, you read my mind. You read my mind. I read it on your lips. Get over it, she said. I got a ladder in the janitor's closet. We'll get that out, and you can climb up on that and get over it. Really, we need to get past some things. We need to get beyond some things. We need to love one another. Forgive one another. Isn't that what the Bible talks about? Hebrews chapter 10 and verse number 24 and 25 says, And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much more as you see the day approaching. How many believe today the day is approaching? then we need to all the more be in the right place, and I believe the right place is the house of God. They were in church. Not only were they in church, they were in church consistently. Look at this scripture. I've read this many times. I've heard this many times, but four words really jumped off the page to me. Then Paul, as his custom was. Oh, did you get that? 
This was his custom. He went into them and for three Sabbaths. This spoke, speaks to me of consistency. Not just coming at Easter time, not just coming for the Christmas program, not just coming when the sun is shining, coming consistently to the house of God. Not just coming when, when your other calendar is free and when there's no other extracurricular activities that are going to interfere with church. Does anybody want to hear this today? I'm just telling you, I think there's something to be said of getting to the house of God, being in the right place, and being there consistent. As was his custom. That's just good right there. What an example for us. I'm going to get to the house of God. I'm going to find out where God wants me. I'm going to get planted there. See, I don't like church hopping either. I don't like going here and, and sampling this buffet, then going over here and, and, and eating lunch over here, then going over here and eating some breakfast over here. You better find out where you're supposed to be and get your roots in and stay there. If it's here, stay here. I want to pastor you and all that that means. But if you're not here consistently, I don't know what's going on in your life. As was his custom, he had a, a pattern established. I'm going to get to the synagogue. I'm going to get to the tabernacle. I'm going to get to the house of God. Consistency. There are privileges. Membership has its privileges. No, seriously, there are benefits to getting to the house of God. You might want to jot these down. First of all, corporate worship. Benefits of getting to the house of God, being in the right place. There's corporate worship. Now, folks, I believe in worship. I am a worshiper. I love to worship, and I will do it privately and publicly. I believe we ought to be worshiping in two ways, publicly and privately. If all you're doing is worshiping publicly so everybody can see what you wore, what you got last week, the new tie that you got, the new dress that you got, you've missed it. You better be able to do the same kind of dance in your, in your private place that you can do in the public place. You better be able to shout as loud as you can in the private place as you can in the public place. But I'll just tell you something, Pastor Moses. As much as I try and, and as much as I worship in private, I cannot reproduce what happens in this room in a corporate setting. And I'm not even supposed to. You're not supposed to. There's something, I just listened today as you encourage this congregation of believers just to come on and lift up your voice and, and I heard male and female and I heard high tones and I heard low tones and some were speaking and some were singing some were in the spirit and some were in their, in their earthly language and it all just rose up to the Father it all just rose up to the throne I can't get that in my car I can't get that in my closet corporate worship and I was buoyed by it I was sustained by it. I was, I was encouraged by it. Your praise might bring somebody else through. Your praise might help somebody else along the way. Corporate worship, preaching, and teaching. It says 
that Paul reasoned, explained, and demonstrated in the synagogue. I pray that when you come into this place that whoever happens to be behind this sacred desk, be it me, one of the staff, or a guest, I pray that you would receive anointed teaching and preaching. This is my prayer. God, anoint me. God, anoint the words that I speak. I'm nothing without you, Lord. I avail my voice to you. And I believe he does. I believe the word comes forth. The anointed word comes forth in the house of God, preaching and teaching. Some say, well, because they're hurt, they're just going to turn on TBN or Daystar or any number of others now. And I'm thankful for Christian television, some of it at least. Don't get me started there. I'm thankful for some of it. They say, I'm going to watch Benny Hinn. He's going to be my pastor. He's going to be my preacher. He's, uh, he'll feed me. And maybe you are fed spiritually. But I promise you when, you, when you get in that car accident and you find yourself laying in a hospital room for three, three weeks, Benny Hinn's not going to come and anoint you with oil and lay his hands on you and pray the prayer of faith over you. Hello. I promise you that. We've got to get in the right place, church. Another benefit, healing, deliverance, and prayer. How many have been healed in a house of worship before? What if you'd have stayed home the day that God wanted to heal you? Can you imagine with me if you missed it to watch Benny Hinn or some other? And I'm not against Benny Hinn. Please don't misunderstand me. Please don't twist my words. What if you'd missed it the day that God wanted to heal you? I'm glad that I was right in this very room, in the right place, when God decided he was going to complete the work of healing that he had started in me. And he touched me, and I fell to my back right here. I was right here, Marissa. I was right here where you are, laying on my back. And the power of God, the healing of God pouring into me, he healed my L4 and L5 discs that I'd suffered in my back for 20-plus years, and I don't have any pain in my back today. Hallelujah. Don't get me started today. I'll run a marathon, and I'll prove to you. I was in the right place at the right time, and I saw God touch it, reach down his hand and heal my body. I don't want to miss what God has to say and what God wants to do in the right place. Never mind the, the fellowship of other believers, number four. Do you know how many times you've said the right thing to me? I happen to be in the right place. Joanne, you're a perfect example. You're a perfect example. I don't know how many times you have come and encouraged me. Hallelujah. And the words that have come out of your mouth, and had I missed being in this place, I would have missed your encouragement and your love to me. Almost every week there's something sitting in my seat, including today, that she had just found. And I'm sorry, I know that's a private thing, and I'm, not, I'm just trying to make a point right here, but almost every week there's something, a cookie or something. I don't need any more cookies. I can hardly button my jacket. But I'm trying, Mike. I'm trying. I'd have missed it. Granola, I don't care what it is. 
It's a gift from the heart, my Lord. And just words, not even a gift necessarily, a gift of words from the fellowship of the believers. Wow. See, there, there are advantages. Membership does have its privileges. But you've got to be in the right place. And you've got to say the right things. Number two, they were saying the right things. Bring up that next scripture for me, please, Brandon. Then Paul, as his custom was, he went into them, and for three Sabbaths, he reasoned with them from what? Mm -hmm. Somebody say scriptures. The scriptures. I appreciate what you have to say. I really do. But if it doesn't line up with the word, keep it to yourself. I don't really care about your opinion unless it comes alongside of the word of God, is reinforced by the word of God. They taught, they preached, they taught the scriptures. If we will just stay with scripture, folks, we'll do well. We can start turning our world around. That's how powerful the scripture is. It's alive. It's sharp. It's active. It is able. They were saying the right things. They reasoned with them from the scriptures, not their own opinion, not some philosopher. The, the, the psalmist David understood this when he wrote in Psalm 119 and verse 105, Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my pathway. The prophet Isaiah understood this when he wrote in chapter 55 and verse number 11, So shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper. Prosper in the thing for which I sent it. The writer of Hebrews also understood this when he wrote in chapter 4 and verse number 12, For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than two, any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of the soul and the spirit and of joints and of marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. Folks, we will do well if we can get to the right place and we can start saying the right thing. Preach the word of God. They preached the Word of God. And I, just as a side note here, folks, you need to understand what they were preaching. If they were preaching Scripture, there was only one Scripture at that time. It was the Old Testament. Because Paul would go on later to write most of the New Testament. Hadn't even been written yet. We're privileged today that we have the Old and the New Testaments. All he had was the Old Testament when it says that he was preaching from Scripture. He had the Old Testament, which the Pharisees and Sadducees and the Jewish leaders all knew. They knew very well. So he went on common ground. He started with what they already knew. He started with what they already believed. He started with the known, and then he brought in the unknown. Oh, what a good pattern for us. Find some common ground with those that you work with. Find some common ground with your family. Find some common ground and, and, and a place that they already know, and then you can bring in the unknown. He said, I know you've read this in Isaiah about a, a Messiah that's going to come, and he'll have to give his life, and he'll have to die, and he'll rise again. Well, this is that. He is that. Jesus is the fulfillment of that. Start on common ground. 
They were saying the right things. The first thing that was right was Scripture. The second thing that was right was Jesus. They were just preaching and teaching Jesus. Look at verse number 3. It says, He was reasoning and explaining and demonstrating that the Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead and saying, This Jesus, whom I preach to you, well, He is that Christ. Look at verse number 7. Jason, uh, Jason, by the way, I, I want to meet him. All we have is his first name. Don't know much about him. All we know is he was a follower of Christ. He was a believer, a uh, uh, New Testament early believer. And he brought in some evangelists into his home. I'd like to talk to him. Jason harbored them, it says in verse 7. And these are all acting contrary to the degrees of the decrees of Caesar saying that there is another king. What's his name? Jesus. Jesus. You see, too many are focusing today on secondary things, secondary matters. There are great debates on angels, let's say. Talking about angels. They'll just debate and discuss angels. Secondary, folks. Others will meet to talk about controversial things. Oh, the Bible, it doesn't, say, it doesn't say you can't do this. So can you do this? Will, will, will doing such and such keep you out of heaven? They want to talk about, they want to spar and talk about and debate about controversial things. What you should eat and what you shouldn't eat and what you should drink and what you shouldn't drink. And then there's folks who focus on the devil and his demons. I mean, they're just always looking for somebody to cast a demon out of. Now, don't misunderstand me again. I know that there are demons, and I know that people can actually be possessed and oppressed by dem demonic activity, and I do believe in casting out demons. I do believe in binding the devil. But I'm just telling you, there are people who make a whole ministry out of, out of just delivering people from, uh, from the devil. And they even have little buckets and bags in their church because they know somebody's going to spit up a demon today. They're, they're looking more for the demonic. They're looking more for the devil. They're talking more to the devil. Devil, I bind you. They're talking to the demons. I say let's just lift up the name of Jesus. Let's just promote the name of Jesus. Let's just, let's just preach and teach Jesus just as Paul and Silas and Jason and the New Testament believers did. Because Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. Let's stop chasing after devils and let's start running after Jesus. Let's stop, let's stop calling demons out all the time and let's start promoting the name that is above every name. You know, demons can't stand the name of Jesus. So if you want a demon to get on the run, you just start worshiping Jesus. You start saying the name of Jesus. And I'm telling you, it will keep them at bay. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. They were in the right place. Would you agree with me? They were saying the right things. Preaching and teaching scripture. Preaching and teaching Jesus. One more thing and I'm going to close. They endured hardship, folks. I want you to look closely at verses 5 and 6. But the Jews who were not persuaded became envious. Now, that's interesting, the wording right here. They became envious. 
And they took some of the evil men from the marketplace and they gathered a mob together. They set all the city in an uproar and they attacked the house of Jason. They sought to bring them out to the people. And when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brethren to the rulers of the city. I I, I highlighted a few words and I'd like you to underline or circle or if you have a highlighter. These, These really spoke to me. Mob, underline, circle that. Uproar, attacked, and dragged. Hmm. Could it be that this is the one key ingredient that's missing from the modern day church in turning our world around? I'm just saying, could it be? Enduring hardship. (laughs) Paul, we are so... Uh, well, spoiled. I was going to say blessed. And I suppose blessed too, but we're spoiled. As believers, we are so spoiled. Here in the United States, we don't truly, for for the most part, we don't understand what it means to endure hardship for the cause of Christ. We're worried about offending someone. (laughs) And so we don't want to offend anyone, so we're just going to let our life be that example, right? And that's okay. But at some point, the talk has to match up with the walk. You actually do have to say something. I mean, do people... I'll ask it again. Do people even know that you're a believer in the workplace? Is there any difference now that the light of the world has come into the workplace or into the neighborhood? We don't want to offend anyone, yet the Bible tells us clearly that the gospel is offensive. (laughs) I mean, it offends people. It offends the way they live because the way they live is contrary to the Bible. So if we're worried about not offending, then we'll never be effective in in communicating the gospel and turning our atlas around, turning our world around. You may have to offend. It may offend someone. You may get persecuted. You may get made fun of. But let's keep on sharing the love of God. Let's keep on inviting. Let's keep on asking. Butler came home Wednesday night. She's almost like a balloon with helium just bouncing off the ceiling. She was was just so high. She was so full of of joy and love Wednesday night. And it just bubbled out of her. She said, Mom and Dad, I I invited a, a young man, one of my friends, a boy. A young boy. Yeah, not man. Okay, don't say man. I I got you, Mom. I invited a little boy. That does feel better. That does sound better now that I say it. A really little boy. Very immature. (laughs) One of her classmates, she invited, and he said yes. 
Okay, so there's about three levels here that I want you to follow along. He said yes. That's, that's, in, that's encouraging, right? That's exciting. Sometimes they're going to say yes. It says, and some of them were persuaded, the Bible says. Right, our text? Some of them were persuaded. Sometimes they will actually say, yes, I'll come. And get this, sometimes they'll actually show up. Because some people say yes, and then they don't show up. So you get this high, and then you get let down. He said yes, he showed up. That's like two home runs right there. But after, after the youth service, Pastor Dave, he said to Butler, I love what I feel here. I feel something when I'm here. I just, I need this. You're going to see me here more. Something like this. I mean, that's so powerful. Oh, but... You know what? It's just a seventh grader. I mean, let's get real. It's just a seventh grader, right? Well, I'm just saying how some people think. I don't feel that way at all because I know the power of a seventh grader. I know one seventh grader could get so fired up for Jesus they could turn their entire school around, turning our academics around. <laughs> I know. I don't minimize that at all. One seventh grader in a junior high. One freshman in a high school. One co-worker in your cubicle. One neighbor in your neighborhood. Hmm. Paul understood. He understood better than probably anyone what it was to endure hardship. I want you to see this scripture and we're going to close. It is 2 Corinthians 11. He said, are they Hebrews? Well, so am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they Abraham's descendants? Me too. Are they servants of Christ? I'm out of my mind to talk like this. I am more. I've worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, and in danger from Gentiles. I've been in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I've labored, I've toiled, and I've often gone without sleep. I've known hunger, I've known thirst, I've often gone without food. I've been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face the daily pressure of my concern for all the churches. Wow. You say, well, pastor, that's, that's great. But that was, for, that was for Paul and Silas. That was the early church. That's really not for us. I want you to see this. I want you to watch this. Because there are those 
in the day that we live right now who know what it means to endure hardship for the cause of Christ. I'm a part of the fellowship of the unashamed. I have Holy Spirit power. I've stepped over the line. The decision has been made. I'm a disciple of His. I won't look back, let up, slow down, back away or be still. My past redeemed, my present makes sense, my future is secure. I'm finished and done with low living, sight walking, small planning, smooth knees, colorless dreams, tame vision, worldly talking, cheap giving, and dwarf goals. I no longer need preeminence, position, promotion, applause, or popularity. I don't have to be right first, tops, recognized, praised, regarded, or rewarded. I now live by faith, lean on his presence, walk by patience. I am uplifted by prayer and labor empowered. My face is set, my grade is fast, my goal is heaven. My road is narrow, my way is rough, my companions are few. My God reliable, my mission is clear. These are the words that were spoken by a pastor in Zimbabwe the night before he was martyred for Christ. What is your reputation? Are you known as the Christian fanatic that just won't stop talking about Jesus? Keeps on inviting people, even though that I've told her, I don't know how many times I don't have anything to do with it. But she won't let me up. She won't let me go. So I guess I'm going to go just to get her off my back. That's the day. That's the time, right? Or do they even know that you follow Christ? I want you to bow your heads and I want you to think about it. These are those who have come and turned the world upside down. Wow. You ready to turn your world around? Let's follow in Paul and Silas, Jason and the others. Let's follow in their footsteps. There's a map here, I believe. There's a pattern here. Get to the right place, the house of God. Start saying the right things, speaking the word of God, teaching the scriptures, promoting Jesus. These are right things. And let's be ready to endure hardship, persecution, all for the, the cause of the gospel. 
I believe if that is what happens, we will see results just as they did. Remember, the scripture says some of them were persuaded. Greeks were persuaded. Jews were persuaded. Leading women were persuaded. It's time to turn our worlds around. If you're ready to turn your world around, I want you to stand all over this congregation. You're ready to turn your world around. Mm. Father, I pray for every man and every woman and all the students who have stood today. We are ready, but we need your help. We need your help. We accept and embrace the commission that has been given to us to go into all the world. I pray that you would empower those standing in this room. Fill them with your Holy Spirit. Come on, somebody lift your hand and say, fill me. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Yes, God, fill us with your Holy Spirit today. As we empty ourselves out, may you fill us, God, with the ability that we lack. Fill us with your Holy Spirit so that we can be that, that effective witness in our world. We pray, Lord of the harvest, that you would send forth workers into the harvest field. And we also volunteer our services. Send us, God. Let us be the answer to somebody else's prayer on the other side of the nation or maybe even on the other side of the world praying that the Lord of the harvest would send a worker. Let us be that candidate. Let us be the one, God, that is fulfilling that prayer. Use the words that we speak. Use our actions as we reach out in kindness. Help us, Lord. Prepare the hearts of our co-workers our family members, our neighbors, all that co we come in contact with, Lord, all those who reside in our world. Prepare them, Lord, for what we will say and what we will do. We pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen, amen, amen. Hallelujah. Ready to turn your world around? You want to talk about a turnaround. Tonight, you don't want to miss. We're, we're having a turnaround service. Teen Challenge is in the house with us tonight. And a radical, radical turnaround has happened in these, in these folks' lives. Please come and be a part of, it, uh, of this service. God bless. Thank you for being in the house today. Have a wonderful afternoon.